Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Hi, and welcome to episode 141 of the Love Food Podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. Do you ever feel powerless around food? Like certain foods, if you're around them, you just can't stop eating them. Maybe you try, maybe you avoid, but then when you're around them, you just can't stop at one or two. Well, I have a letter from someone who's experiencing that. And, you know, usually people write a letter to food, but this person chose to write the letter to peppermint Oreos. Even more in particular, chocolate-covered peppermint Oreos. They sound delicious. And um, so this person wrote a letter specifically to that food. And I really am looking forward to you hearing about it because I think you can relate. It's a really common experience to feel like one is eating like an unacceptable amount of food, especially with the pressures that we have to do things like portion control and the serving sizes that are on foods and all that. So this is a really important part of the food piece conversation. Before we get to this episode's letter, a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome, and I specialize in helping people with PCOS to make peace with food, do things like intuitive eating, and help heal their relationship with food, maybe from an eating disorder or diet culture. It is totally possible to not rely on diets and promote health and peace with PCOS. Yes, it's totally possible. And I have a 12-step system that I designed over the last 15 years-ish, working with people with PCOS that I would love to share with you. And it's in the course. You can get to it at PCOSandFoodPeace.com. I also train other dietitians to help people with PCOS. And you can get to that information And the course, by the way, has 20 continuing education units, which is awesome. So you can get to all the details at pcosandfoodpeace.com slash dietitians. So I have a new segment in the Love Food Podcast where I'm featuring products from people who come from communities that are usually marginalized and don't always have access to um, the financial way to have ad space. And I want to feature them here because they're often products that I think you, the listener, would really love to learn about and hear about. Some of them are products, some of them are organizations, but I think there are things that you would really be interested to to hear about and just know that I'm not being compensated. So there are also products or organizations that I really believe in and it's not just because I was being paid to, to say it. And the first one I wanted to share with you is something called the Body Love Box. So subscription-based services, of course, are really common and popular. And I found one last year that was more of like a therapeutic-related one. And I was really excited about it. But then I found it was so fat-phobic. It had lots of products in there about diets and weight loss and um, getting rid of, quote-unquote, flaws in our body. And it just 
wasn't something that brought any kind of therapeutic warm and fuzzy to me. And so I was really bummed. But then I heard about the Body Love Box. And it looks like a fantastic resource for people who live in large bodies or anyone who wants to improve their body image. It's a monthly subscription box that gets mailed to your home and includes things like body positive stickers and pins, as well as deeper resources on body acceptance, health at every size, and intuitive eating. Each box includes items from fat and marginalized creators and pays them a living wage for their work. The monthly subscription can be found at thebodylovebox.com. And if you, the listener, are interested, you can use the code LOVEFOOD, all one word, Love food for 15% off your first month. So go check it out. I'm really excited that we finally have a resource like this that I could recommend to someone that I also can trust is going to be something that's going to help someone actually feel more at home in their own skin and not to further harm. All right, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter. Dear chocolate-covered peppermint Oreos, why do you have so much power over me? Why can't I just eat one or two of you? Why do I wake up in the middle of my sleep and eat you? I know an entire box isn't good for me, but yet I keep going. The same goes for chips or any snack. Why can't I eat an acceptable amount? When I'm tired, stressed, lonely, you are always there to comfort me. But after I'm done, I hate myself. Our relationship has reached a scary place. I'm ready to break up, but scared I'm not strong enough. Sincerely, powerless and unacceptable. Hey there, letter writer. Thanks for your note. And you know, when I was reading it, I kind of gathered that at the beginning, it was tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek rather. It was trying to kind of be silly about the Oreos and the specific type, but then it dug really deep. And honestly, I know there are others listening who can totally relate to what you're saying, totally get this experience. And I hope I gave you some different options to explore as you're moving along your journey. In your note, you know, I got the feeling that you feel like food has way, way too much power. And I agree. I think it has too much power too. Food is supposed to have a role in our life. We're supposed to, you know, remember to eat many times throughout the day. And in order to do that, we usually need to do some kind of preparation or buying or assembling. And we may even have to um, make lists and things like that. But we're not supposed to think about it all the time. And we're also not supposed to think about it connecting to our morality, our soul. It's designed to be fuel and also something a little bit more than that, like a connector, something that helps us to feel safe and grounded. And it's not supposed to make us feel like shit. And food is definitely making you feel like shit. I also gathered that there was some struggle with Maybe what some diet people would call portion control. I don't use that phrase. It has never sat well with me. And the more I studied the weight-inclusive movement and fat-positive interventions, I know why. Because that kind of myth that skinny people have all their shit together is really just a myth. And things like portion control, 
maybe even words like moderation, have tinges of that stigma and oppression. And I'm not going to stand for that. Um, And when you were mentioning things like acceptable amounts of certain foods, that's what I'm talking about. And I think that's a really big, important piece of the pie here. I think it's a really big piece of why food has so much power. Um, Also, like reading through it, I'm noticing you mentioned some things about night eating and that food is comforting, but also scary. So we have a lot to go over. So let's get to it. You mentioned, like I said, that you feel powerless over food. And I think that power comes from, of course, like what we're all told to do with food. We're told we need to eat this, not that. We need to stop eating at a certain time. And we should be doing this. We should be doing that. And when we don't do what we should be doing, I know that leads to shame. You probably have heard me say it before, but I'm going to say it again. Shame never promotes health. It never, ever does. So what a lot of therapists and people like me say is that we're shooting all over ourselves because all that should is doing is leading to shame, guilt, and distrust. I think all of those food rules and the cultural kind of diet culture stuff that has just gotten internalized in you and me has led to this distrust. And when we are not trusting ourselves around food, it automatically clicks into place some wiring, some really important wiring, by the way, that we have to keep us alive in famine. And when we are not able to have access to food, and remember, our like biology, our primal needs, they don't care why we're not eating certain things. They don't care why we are avoiding things or only eating at certain times. It just knows whether or not we have it or not. And it just knows whether we have permission or not. And especially for you listener who's been through more than one diet, you know, that's going to go really deep and click into place anytime there's a should with a food or movement or a time of eating, any kind of like food behavior, really, it's going to lead to that distrust. And that distrust leads to this fancy term, food preoccupation, (laughs) which just basically, again, is this like primal thing that we all have. Thank goodness we have, because it helps us stay alive if we're ever, I don't know, stuck on a deserted island or in a concentration camp somewhere. You know, like these are the things that our body has over time evolved to have. And I think about uh, my own ancestors, how they survive famines. And that's why I know me and people in my lineage, why we have this wiring, because they are survived. They were survivors. And so now it's going to help me survive too. And for you listener, it's the same thing. It's really uh, an acknowledgement to, wow, my body wants to survive. And by cutting off or limiting or living off these shoulds, that's diet culture, that's what's distrusting and giving food really all that power because it's just trying, to, just trying to save us. So this is where it gets messy because I know that you, yes, you, were born knowing how to eat and how much. And diet culture has disconnected you from that. And you may be saying something like, but I feel so good when I start dieting, or at least for a little while. 
or when I start um, getting rid of certain foods in my house. It just feels so liberating. And I think I appreciate that totally. Diets and preparing for them give us this umph that things are going to be all right. And just the decision to like start a diet can calm you and relax you. Your head may feel clearer. And the first few days or weeks, there's often a buzz with that. And that buzz, that feeling of like, ah, I got my shit together. Yes, that's diet seduction. And that seduction is just a fantasy because weight loss solutions are just a fantasy. And that for you, letter writer, is behind that distrust. It's kind of this loops because diets are really only short term and they're not sustainable. Evidence has shown this over and over and over again. But what's so crappy is that we all have been manipulated to believe that we're behind a diet ending or failing or whatever. But they don't work for most people, as we know, if you don't know. Diets don't work for most people. So you're not an exception. You're more the rule. And really, diets are long-term harmful because it promotes what you're experiencing, letter writer. It promotes this kind of chaos experience with food. It also um, promotes this condition of like yo-yo dieting. And in the research, you'll hear it termed, or you'll see rather that it's termed weight cycling. It can promote things like higher insulin levels, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, depression. So you may be wondering, why are diets even recommended to improve health? Why do so many doctors and dietitians and my mother-in-law, why do they all recommend diets? I honestly think that answer is really nasty. It's pretty um, politically uncomfortable. But the answer is that our world is just so afraid of fat. It's so afraid of fat people and becoming fat that it cannot wrap its head around the notion that weight loss is not a behavior, that we don't have control of it, that being skinny does not mean you're in control. And being able to eat only a certain amount of certain foods does not mean you are a better person and have your shit together. You know, and from a cultural standpoint, I think we get messages loud and clear without even hearing a pin drop at all when we see how people of size are treated. You know, chairs don't fit, airplanes don't accommodate, and people don't get jobs or get passed over in academia all the time just because of their size. And this constant discrimination sends anyone into a place of trying to fit in, try to be more at ease in the world. It makes sense. It's a survival thing. And I really believe my, my clients have taught me so much, so much, and I'm grateful. And something that they've been able to help me appreciate is how radical it is for a person who's in a fat body to not diet. Like it's, they're not complying with the orders. And that's what I call that moment of like, I need to comply. I need to be able to fit in this world with ease. I need to follow these rules. I need to feel this shame. I call that the should eat fantasy compliance. It's a kind of a big, long phrase, but it's a way that I've been able to like dissect what's going on. In those moments when we get stuck in that loop, I learned from Kelly Deals. She's a feminist marketer that I, I follow her work a lot. And if you follow her work too, you'll notice that I do a lot of the same things that she teaches. And one of the things that she talks a lot about is 
naming what's keeping us stuck. And that's a feminist type of approach too, is to name something that's oppressing us, name something that's harming us. And um, it's really important for us to name the, the place in our world, in our life, that's making us feel so much shame and guilt and what keeps us in it. And I think it's all these shoulds that paint this picture that's a fantasy and you must comply with them in order to get any privilege at all. And for you, letter writer, trying to make peace with Oreos or snacks of any kind, you're not complying. And what happens then is that loop just goes back to that guilt and shame. And when we have guilt and shame, there's often times then of like, well, I'm going to restrict and then I'm going to deprive myself. And then with deprivation just comes more cravings. So what do you do? Where do you go from here? First and foremost, you need to name what it is that should eat fantasy compliance, that you're just doing what you've been taught and you just want to live a life where you can be accepted. I hear, you said that word even in your letter, but I hear it and I felt it. You just want to be accepted. I know you meant acceptable amount of foods. That's what you wrote, but I think it does go deeper than that. Because here's the thing, unless you stole that food, I don't care how much you ate, it's acceptable. It's totally acceptable. You didn't steal it from a baby or steal it from a store. It's acceptable. There's no moral failure there. So yes, I give you permission to eat however you much you want, how often you want it, whenever you want it. I give you permission to binge on the food, to quote unquote overeat it, to eat more than the portion, to blow up the idea of portion control. You have total permission for me. It's really important for you to experiment with permission. If you're in a place where you feel stuck in your relationship with food, I often find when I talk to people along their food peace journey, when they're stuck in certain spots, it's because permission is kind of hung up on something or twisted up or just not there. I really encourage you to have permission. And permission can be really exciting, but it also can be scary. I have a blog post that I put together that goes over some steps to take if it feels too scary or if you experiment with it and it feels too scary. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's really easy to find. It's at juliedillonrd.com slash scaryhunger. And when you do these, this kind of work, what it basically does is it helps your brain, like this computer that we're all carrying around in our head, it helps it just get used to being around certain foods. It helps you start to experiment with kind of a pace to it. And slowly over time, permission has a space to develop. And it also gives you kind of a way to be at the wheel to do it. You don't have to do it this way. I find many people like to have it at a slower pace. And there are other people who talk about, there's like, fuck it. I really just want to get through this. I want to feel more at ease in life with food. And I don't want it to have this kind of power anymore. And you can do that way too. It's kind of like a faster roller coaster when you do that. And that's, that's okay too. I feel like it's just whatever you need and whatever you want to do and what support you have to, to in that moment. And that may change as time goes on. So I have two more things I want to mention. You mentioned the night eating, but before that, you mentioned that food just is so comforting and soothes you. And yes, like food, when we eat food, 
it makes our serotonin levels explode, basically. Not really, but it makes our body just feel so much more relaxed within the first bite. It does that. It is a very soothing thing. And it's super accessible. Like we can legally buy food. And food is, it's not a drug and it's not addicting. I don't agree with the food addiction model because what I think is going on whenever someone feels addicted to food, in case you listening do feel addicted to food, is that it's not um, allowing for the variables of food deprivation, um, eating enough food or eliminating certain foods. I find when I work with clients that allow themselves permission and give them the space to heal the relationship with food, they no longer use the word addicted anymore to food. And I have the same belief for you, for you listening. If you do feel addicted to food, I think there are ways to heal your relationship with food and to be around any food again. Marcy Evans is a dietitian who's done a ton of research on that. I encourage you to look into her work and I'll put some links in the show notes to episodes that we've had here with her. Okay, so back to the soothing and the comforting. Um, What I wanted to mention is that food does do that. And the loop that I hear you in is that it goes from comforting and soothing to like, ah, shit, I did this again. I hate myself. I feel disgusting. Actually, you didn't use that word disgusting, but a lot of people I talk to do. So I wonder if you do as well. And I feel like that is a word that is has so much shame and is so powerful. And I don't think you're disgusting. I don't think you deserve that hate and um, that just negative kind of connection to yourself because food is soothing. It is comforting. And I think it's by design. It helps us survive. If it didn't make us feel good, I don't think we would reach for it and we wouldn't keep eating to stay alive. Like I think it's really cool that it does that. And it's also a really wonderful tool to use to get through shitty times in life. So you're a survivor. Again, this is another thing that you've done to help survive in a way that hasn't made you drunk behind the wheel or do some really crazy thing. This eating food to help soothe uncomfortable emotions is a tool and it's worked. So if anything, I would encourage you to really appreciate the ingenuity that you've experienced to be able to navigate life. And some people find that they want other ways because I do have clients who say, I feel sluggish when I eat to soothe. Or if I eat more than a certain amount, it gives me a headache. And sometimes that's fine, but I don't always want to feel like that. And when you're in that place, it's really important to acknowledge, hey, doing this with food is how I survived. I don't deserve to hate myself. Like this is a survival thing. And only then when you have permission and start to explore other ways to feel that soothing and comfort without taking away binging or whatever you want to call that way of uh, relating to food, you can't take that away without having other things. And I would even say the word take away is not right because I don't want you to take it away. I always want it to be a tool and I want to help you find other ones if you want. So as you're exploring other ways to feel comfort and soothing, you still need the food in order to find other ways. It's just not something that I've ever seen happen in real time with clients. Like It's not like you can say, I'm not going to do that with food anymore and then go on and find other ways to feel that same kind of comfort and soothing. They kind of have to slowly come into your life and provide that same kind of connection. So then it's just not as necessary anymore. 
the food way of feeling soothing just doesn't, there's not as much of a need. All right. So one last thing, you mentioned eating certain foods at night, and I'm not certain if you're talking about the clinical diagnosis of night eating syndrome, or if it's just something that you notice that sometimes before bed or in the middle of the night or throughout the night, you're eating certain foods. Certainly that could be night eating syndrome or not, but that's a moot point. But eating again, anytime, and especially at night can really help anxiety and it can really help soothe us. Many people that I talk to who do have night eating syndrome or feel really uncomfortable with their eating at nighttime have a tremendous amount of anxiety. So I wonder if you do too. And really helping to find ways to treat anxiety helps people have better sleep, which for me, that's the big part for clients I work with, especially my clients with PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, Night eating syndrome is pretty common and so is anxiety. So that's why they kind of go together. But sleep disorders are also common and getting enough sleep and sleep that's continuous all night long is something that is so good for the soul. Like it's good for mood and it's also really important for health. So whatever we can do to keep people sleeping longer, I think is really helpful. And treating the underlying anxiety is really honestly the way to do it instead of attacking any food or restricting any food. So if you do eat at night, what do you do with the food? And I think framing the food at night has been a really cool experiment for some people I've worked with. So I wanted to share it with you. There's one tool in particular that I've seen to be helpful to enhance the healing process and help enhance the sleeping, which I feel like is so wonderful. Um, Clients tell me that that's something that helps them feel a lot better about their recovery and their sleep. And that is to be really, frame the food at night as special. Before you even go to bed, maybe get a box out or, um, I don't know, a baggie or something. And the food that you normally like at night, maybe it's these Oreos, put them in a box with a nice little note to yourself that says, whatever you need to read in the middle of the night, whether it's like you have permission to have this as much as you need, maybe it's um, a mantra that helps your anxiety go down if that's something that you're connecting with. It could be anything, just a kind word that you would tell a best friend who was feeling whatever you're experiencing in the middle of the night. Put that on a note, put it in the box or the bag with the food. Make sure it's enough, not a quote unquote acceptable portion. (laughs) Make sure it's enough. And it may be the whole bag of Oreos. It really could. And put it with the note and put it where you'll find it. And when you get up in the middle of the night to know that your past self prepared this just for you, for the part of you that needed this, is something that is so tender and sweet and kind and permission giving, which again is such a big part of this process. And I wish there's a way I could just like box up and hand deliver to you this tremendous amount of permission, but it's not something that I can really give you besides just my words that I want you to have permission. It's something that you will need to experiment with yourself. Another thing to experiment with in the middle of the night I learned from Janine Roth. And Janine Roth is someone who I don't necessarily agree with her ways of um, teaching about food and body anymore because it's not what I would call fat positive or weight inclusive. 
And as I sift through some of the books that I really leaned on 20 years ago, some things still stick. And one of them was that um, Jean Roth would often talk about if one connected with the soothing power of food or how it calmed them or whatever kind of emotion it helped to, to-, to tolerate, whenever someone would go to do that, to just say it out loud. Because keeping it secret feeds that shame. You know, a big Brene Brown thing, right? It feeds the shame when we feel like we have to keep it a secret. And there may even be someone, maybe your partner in bed next to you or an animal that lives in your house, you know, that you can just tell, hey, I'm going to have some Oreos right now to help soothe my fears, my anxiety. Saying it breaks the back of the shame. It like kicks it in the shins. And I love that. If you can't tell somebody, maybe you don't feel safe to tell someone, you can write it down or you can say it out loud to yourself. I think even just doing that has been really powerful for for many people I work with. So I wonder what would happen if you did those two things in the middle of the night or anytime, honestly, that you're going to eat any of these foods. All right. I see food is written back. But before we get to that letter, I want to tell you that I do think you are strong enough. I know that's your big doubt. I know you said, like, am I strong enough to do this? It's so scary. It is really scary. And it's really hard work. And it's good work. I want you to really explore permission to be okay with where you are right now because reclaiming your power is going to be so important on your food peace journey. This episode of the Love Food Podcast was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. You can get to it at PCOSandFoodPeace.com. Also, be sure to check out the Body Love Box and you can get 15% off your first month by using the code LOVEFOOD at checkout. You can get all the details at TheBodyLoveBox.com. All right, enough of all of that. Let's hear what food has to say, but until next time, take care. Dear Powerless and Unacceptable, we wish you knew how little control we have over your experiences of powerlessness. Diet culture and fat phobia are dictating the orders and it's time for you to dismantle them in your life. Together, let's call out the shame, manipulation, and lies. Connecting just you and me and permission to do so will ground you in your power. We encourage you to reclaim the role of expert of your own body and experiment with the permission for comfort, soothing, and pleasure. Doing so will help you redefine our relationship and remind you of the precious person you are. Acceptable and worthy. Love, food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care.